Hello, everybody, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists, editorial board members, and columnists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by reporter Emily Eaton. She joins the show today to talk about a recent change to the law surrounding the use of drones in journalism. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Emily. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me. So this is something that kind of kind of hit close to home with our one of our um, photographers, Billy Calzada. Just give me a quick recap of what happened to Billy and uh, everything that happened before the law changed. Yeah. So um, Billy Calzada is one of our photojournalists, and one day a couple years ago, I believe it was in July of 2018, he was flying a drone trying to get photographs of a fatal apartment fire up in San Marcos. That was um, really big news. And some officers came up to him and threatened him with arrest. Um, And the basis of their reasoning was this law that basically it was passed in 2013 and amended in 2015 that imposed uh, civil and criminal penalties on people who used drones to create images of private property. And so after that happened to Billy, a couple of different trade organizations, and I should add that this had been an issue for other photographers at other news organizations and independent journalists. And so two different trade organizations filed this lawsuit trying to challenge the law. What happened to Billy? Did, did, did he end up, how did he become a part of this uh, lawsuit? Yeah, so he um, later wrote in a deposition that, um, or I think maybe wrote or said this in a deposition, that, um, you know, that incident really scared him. Um, and he felt like the law was unfair towards a journalist. The law did have exceptions for other type of people, but not necessarily for journalists. And a lot of these trade organizations sort of felt like it unfairly um, impacted journalists and and violated the First Amendment, which allows for the gathering and publication of of news. And so um, these trade organizations brought this lawsuit forward and he ended up being a part of it um, sort of in one of two ways. Number one, he was one of the cases that the lawyers cited um, and he gave a deposition sort of talking about the impact of the law. But also his wife um, is a attorney for the National Press Photographers Association. So she played a role in the legislation or in the litigation as well. And this is something, I mean, I'm reading the the law and what the and the judge's ruling. It all seems like pretty common sense stuff. Like if there, there was already exemptions for for commercial drone photography of private buildings, it, it just seemed like this was a no brainer to allow journalists in places where the, the, the news was happening. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, there were exemptions also for scholarly research, which, you know, I think in many ways you can see sort of parallels between journalism and scholarly research um, and journalism is protected by the First Amendment. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of people sort of saw it as unfair. And so what, when this, when does this change go into effect? Does it go into effect immediately as, as soon as the ruling's done now from that point forward? Uh, journalists have a little more leeway? 
Yes, as, as far as I understand it, the ruling does go into effect immediately. The ruling was from a district judge in the Western District of Texas. Um, so, of course, you know, our court systems are set up so that there can be appeals. But as far as we can tell, there hasn't been any. And, um, and so this is now how the law operates is that journalists do get these. Um, that essentially, the law that was passed is no longer in existence. Well, hopefully that'll make a lot of photojournalist jobs a lot easier. Uh, moving on to a separate topic, you you just published something this morning. Uh, do you want to quickly talk about that? I'll let you lead it in. So I published a story about some issues that were brought up by employees within Metro Health, which has a program that is, that is dedicated to helping victims of domestic violence. And according to this employee and other staffers at Metro Health, there have been a lot of issues with short staffing, employee burnout, delays in getting job postings posted in a timely manner and um, sort of bureaucratic processes or red tape that held up services for victims. And so according to these employees, you know, they had brought these issues to the attention of their supervisors back in October or perhaps even earlier. And they felt like these issues just continued to mount up over five months to the point where, you know, the staffers and managers were, were quitting. Um, the job vacancies were piling up even more. Um, victim services were being impacted. So that's something that I worked on last week and was actually published on Sunday. This is something you've reported on in the past as well, though, about domestic violence. Is that correct? Yeah. So my former colleague and I, Melissa Fletcher Stolci and I did a big project about domestic violence that published last year in November and December. And it really focused on the countywide response to domestic violence and how the courts and many other entities like the San Antonio Police Department and the Bear County District Attorney's Office had really failed on many fronts in supporting victims and, and monitoring defendants and, and specifically in bringing cases to trial and securing convictions. So this is sort of a continuation of that reporting showing another way in which victims potentially are being impacted. We did a whole episode on in-depth on Nowhere to Hide. I remember that. You and Melissa did an incredible job. But now uh, we're a few months uh, removed from that. What is the city doing to staff up or provide more resources to this uh, really important program? Yeah. So I spoke to officials from the city and from Metro Health and they acknowledged that staffing is an issue, though they they really um, pointed out that this is an issue that a lot of health departments across the United States are having because of employee burnout and because of the pandemic. You know, as we've seen in multiple sectors, especially in the health in the health arena, you know, people are quitting, and, and it's hard to get people in job involved in these really really taxing jobs. And so they said that they are working to fill the positions. They already have filled a number that were um, at one point pretty low and that they continue to do that, that they're scheduling interviews, making adjustments to HR processes, um, making sure that they find qualified candidates to really get their staffing up. Someone who you mentioned prominently is Jennifer Hickson. 
is that someone you interviewed for this story and and kind of can you tell us how she fits into everything yeah so she's the employee who or one of the employees who brought these attentions uh, these issues to the attention of metro health officials she was the manager of metro health's um, violence prevention program and so she oversaw a lot of the programs directed towards domestic violence victims. And she wrote a series of these emails to her supervisors calling attention to issues of short staffing and employee burnout. I did reach out to her. So we received about 1,800 pages of emails that she had written. And some of them were, you know, very basic day-to-day operations. Um, But some of them you know, she had directed to managers talking about issues of short staffing. So I did reach out to her and, um, and couldn't reach her for comment. Um, so I don't know exactly what, um, what her thoughts are on this all now, but, but certainly at one time she was really upset about, about how she felt the city wasn't taking her concerns seriously. Yeah. She mentions that it was never set up for success and she questions whether the program should remain at Metro Health to begin with. Yeah, yeah, it was it was very interesting. Um, you know, um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Like we said, this is a follow up to a larger piece that you did on domestic violence last year. What's it like for you as a journalist to continue to follow a story like this? Do, is this something that you look forward to uh, reporting on? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's so important when you do an investigation like this to follow up and see what its impact is, but also to see if there are any additional issues that come to light. And that's exactly what happened here. So I certainly am always, you know, open to hearing suggestions for stories about domestic violence and, and um, sort of seeing how our city and how our county is responding. Just real quickly, before I let you go, uh, I wanted to talk about uh, collaboration. Uh, we mentioned you worked with Melissa Fletcher Stolci on the original piece, and you worked with Brian on this one, I believe it's, it, it mentions here in the article. What does collaboration look like on a piece like this? Yeah, it's, um, it's, really, it's really a rewarding experience because you can learn so much from other reporters, and other reporters have different perspectives and different ways that they go about reporting. And so for the first project that I did, Melissa and I really worked hand in hand to interview officials, interview victims, review records, request records. I mean, we pretty much conferred multiple times a day, either by email or in person to to make sure that we were doing everything we needed to do to make sure we got a full picture of, of what domestic violence in Bear County looks like. And then for a story like this, I mean, Brian and I have worked very closely on stories in the past. On this one, he um, was the one who originally received this tip about this story and pursued the records and then ended up actually sort of handing it off to me. Um, So it wasn't the same type of collaboration, but it was still really, really helpful. I mean, I couldn't have done it without him. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that type of collaboration is just really, it's really incredible and and it's what makes our stories at the express news so great you know not to make this sounding like an ad but you know we have some reporters with a variety of experiences who can really help um, build these stories into the stories that they are 
All righty. Well, Emily, I'm going to leave it at that. Like, like I said to all of our listeners, all of the links to all the articles we talked about, they're going to be in the description below. Uh, thank you for joining the show, Emily. It's always great to have you. Thanks for having me.